0: The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is march 8th the day before my birthday so it's my last podcast as a 31 year old next time i will be a 32 year old so (laughs) if if you're any different (laughs) yeah if you notice any changes next week that's why i'll be much more (laughs) mature yeah still won't be able to pronounce anything and we'll probably still make dumb comments
1: <laughs> I feel like that that stops when you're over 40 maybe. I'll be able to tell you guys in a few months. <laughs> oh nice. <laughs> what are you doing for your birthday? Uh
0: I mean tomorrow probably nothing really. I just I ordered a cake. We all know I love a cake. I was debating what kind of between cake did you get? I was debating between the cheesecake that I love or like a Cold Stone ice cream cake and I went with the Cold Stone cake because I could get like a smaller one at least cuz I've been trying to um get in shape and stuff for my wedding so the cheesecake that I love comes in like a really big cake and I could eat it for like a week straight. <laughs> so I was like, let me get the ice cream one because I could get a smaller size though. But it's expensive. It's like
1: 45 bucks. Yeah. I feel like ice cream cakes are like that here when you get a cold stone. Here it's called cold rock. But yeah, the same type of <laughs> That's cake. That's really funny. <laughs> the same type of cake is like, some of them are up to $100. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. The, the I got the smallest one and it was like 45. It says it serves eight people. But um. Yeah, there was, like, three other sizes. What flavors did you get? I had, like, a mint chocolate chip one that kind of has, like, the thin mint type cookies. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, and I think maybe I'll order some burritos tomorrow. I'm in, like, a burrito mood.
1: (laughs) Sounds like a perfect birthday, ice cream and burritos.
0: Yeah, and then Saturday... I'm going to go bowling with my family because I love bowling. No one likes bowling but me, so it's my chance to be like, we're going bowling,
1: guys. (laughs) You have to force them every birthday. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And then on Friday, I'm supposed to like go meet up with friends at this new brewery that opened, but I swear it snows. Like it has it's hardly snowed this whole winter. It snowed once, as everyone has heard me say. But I swear every week birthday weekend I have, it snows. Like last year we went to the casino, like that's kinda near here, and it was like a blizzard. And then of course now it's gonna snow on Friday and I'm like, Great
1: It's so weird here too, because we are officially in autumn or fall now, like ours started first of March, but it's been way hotter in the the last week than it was all summer. Like I think we had our hottest day since January 2022 or something. So it's crazy how you have all summer, it's officially over and then the weather gets even more extreme.
0: Yeah, it's just been crazy here. I
1: don't know. Fun times. It's It's been a big full moon this week too. I feel like everything's crazy. I feel like we said that last week so maybe this is just life.
0: <laughs> yeah I feel like last week was the worst. I don't know if I mentioned that in the last podcast but I really <laughs> suffered last week and then I also suffered at the start of this week but today was kind of a good calm day so hopefully like now it's over with.
1: Yeah, Now, well, it's, I think it is like a new moon today. The full moon was yesterday or the day before. So hopefully that's it for another month. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, because it,
0: it was rough. I was, I'm very tired. Yeah. Um, anything fun going on with you?
1: not really pretty quiet weekend I've got after this weekend there's a lot going on it's one month today exactly until our Japan trip so that's exciting so we're pretty sort of just got you know kind of the last few things to plan and lock in and then actually start you know f- making sure I've got everything I need and all the stuff I need to do um so I did get my international driver's license, which I've never had to do before in any country, even though I've driven oh, wow. everywhere. Most people, most countries don't need it. But funnily enough, you need it to drive a go-kart in Japan. <laughs> so weird. So there's this thing called, um, I, know, like a, I think it was called Mario Kart, but um, like Mario, Super Mario have kind of trademarked it. Now they've, the one we're doing is called Monkey Kart, where mm-hmm. you dress up as a character and you drive around the streets of Tokyo in a go-kart. Oh, that's so, fun. I just needed to get my license for that, so that's pretty sorted. So yeah, other did than that, did you have that, to do anything much. or just apply for it? Just apply. Like it's it's just it's just a, an annoying process. You've got to have a passport photo, which I did it via an app, so that's easy. But you just have to like scan in your actual real driver's license, and then they just send it to you in the mail. So it was just annoying. It wasn't particularly hard, and I could do it all online, which was good. But mm. yeah, just another little bit of paperwork to complete. So no, nothing else too much happening, really. One exciting thing, because I know people always say, I love hearing about our families and all that. My daughter went to her, or a high school orientation day today. She starts high school next year. That's so So crazy. I know. So they go and do high school for a day, which is exciting for her. So I think she was a little bit nervous, but... <laughs> I remember I so nervous. Oh, and it's because it's different here. Like, so we, you have primary school, where I live anyway, in New South Wales. So you have primary school and then high school. So primary school is kindergarten to year six and then high school is grade seven to 12. So that's kind of the two main distinctions. Some schools do go from kindergarten to year 12. Um, her current school is only kindergarten to year six. So she will be moving on from her current school to a high school next year.
0: Mine was like... Elementary school was kindergarten to third. And then my school, we had like an intermediate school, which is fourth and fifth, but it was connected to the middle school, just like a newer separate part. And middle school was six
1: to eight. And then high school is nine to 12. It's interesting, isn't it, how they split it up. The school I think that she will go to isn't the school that she's going to today. The one I think she will hopefully go to is kindergarten to year 12, but year 7 to year 12 have kind of their own separate part of the campus, if that makes sense. So they're not all integrated. They're just in the same general area.
0: Yeah. I think most schools don't have like a fourth and fifth grade school like I had, but yeah. I don't know. They just decided to like build more school, I guess, where there was a lot of people. <laughs>
1: Mm. but yeah fun times ahead it's crazy that you're going to japan so soon because then after that it's like my wedding is like not that far after <laughs> like i get back from japan on i think on the 18th of april and then i fly out to your wedding the 31st of may so yeah it's very very quick big traveling mm. yeah for you yeah and then nothing much for the rest of the year i've got it all done in the first half
0: mm. <laughs> speaking of wedding i know People love hearing about my my wedding planning, aka <laughs> most don't really care, or most are like, "Oh, I like hearing about it." And like a handful of people are like, "We don't fucking care." <laughs> but anyways, I just want one thing that I feel like a lot of girls, at least, can relate to. How annoying are shoe sizes? Like, I could either be a size eight, an eight and a half, or a size nine, and I pretty mm-hmm. much always order the wrong one and then have to return them and get a different one. I never pick right. Did
1: your other did the ones that you order arrive?
0: The actual wedding shoes I ordered came, and they fit. But I don't know, like, if I love them. They're, like, low heels from um, Dolce. I don't remember. They're, like, shoe brand. Um, but then I also got sneakers from Betsy Johnson just, like, to wear as, like, flat shoes because they're cute. And I got an eight and a half, which I am in – I'm an eight and a half in Vans and everything, and they're, like, kind of big. But in other shoes, I could be, like, a 9, so yeah. now in these I have to order an 8. It's so annoying
1: so annoying. For a wedding I was going to last year, I ordered two pairs of shoes online. They didn't arrive in time, so I actually had to go to the store and and buy shoes like the day before the wedding. Then when these other ones arrived, they were absolutely – like they were my size, but they were nowhere near fitting me. It's just – it's hard. You know, I don't know why they're all so different.
0: And I'm like, I should just go to the store, but the mall is just like a little – Annoyingly far and up like a really annoying busy road, so I just never feel like it. <laughs> or the shops, as you call them, <laughs> the shops. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the latest drama. But otherwise, it's been good. Do you want to talk about Lindsay's episode quick?
1: Oh yeah. So the last episode that we had out was Lindsay Clancy's episode about the murder of her three kids. I think we were just saying off air that that was probably our quickest downloaded episode to date or most downloaded episode to date Um, and we had some really really nice feedback it was a hard one to cover because with such such a sensitive topic and everyone has such different experiences in terms of postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis it's difficult to cover if that makes sense like are we giving enough information about these conditions and different things like that. So we did have some really nice feedback. We had one from a woman today. She said, hi, I'm a psychologist. I just listened to your episode on Lindsay. I think it was very well done. It's very important to discuss PPD and PPP. They're underreported. I like what Olivia said about the issues surrounding PPD in the sense that a lot of those symptoms are typical anyway of being postpartum. When we get messages like that, it's we really appreciate the feedback because we try to do our best, um, but with cases like that, it's they're very hard ones to cover.
0: It's hard and, and you get really nervous about saying the wrong thing or offending someone when you don't mean to because yeah. on one hand, you want to have sympathy for what happened and what she went through, because it's something that a lot of people go through and mental health struggles like that. There's the other side where like, well, she did murder three children, so you don't want to be too like lenient sounding about it. It's so, uh, just hard in this environment. I know a lot of people talk about cancel culture and all that and how everyone's always trying to cancel people. But as like a podcaster, there's something on your mind and you get kind of nervous about saying the wrong thing and upsetting anyone. And that's something we never want to do. So it was nice to um have a lot of people say that we did a good job discussing that one definitely except one person who left us a bad review but they definitely (laughs) twisted our words (laughs) Uh, so annoying anyways though today we are going to talk about the murdoch trial which just happened actually in the episode that comes out um tomorrow so it will be the episode the week before this you'll hear our live reaction to him (laughs) um
1: getting, getting a, a spoiler alert yeah, being found
0: guilty because <laughs> we screamed <laughs> and gasped so yeah a lot of people wanted us to cover this because the trial it some people were able to like sit and watch it but it was very long a lot going on so if you're not especially if people who like work full-time and work during the day like, you can't just sit and watch this trial all day yeah so we're gonna go through like a recap of it obviously there's tons that happened but we're kind of just gonna more so go through like the highlights and the relevant stuff
1: yeah, we um, won't be like we won't be going through it every day if it was just kind of routine things happening. We've picked out kind of the most important parts of the story essentially. If
0: you want to know more about the background of this case, we did a two-part episode in 2021, so if you just search for it, they'll come up. Um I will warn you that I say his name wrong and it offended <laughs> a lot of people from <laughs> South Carolina.
2: <laughs> mm.
0: But like <laughs> His I've name is literally name. Alexander,
1: and his name is spelled Alex, but it's Alec. And even in my and it's Murdoch, isn't it? It's yeah. Not, I think we said well, one. No, Murdoch. we did Murdoch. Say it differently. Like even in my head, I still read it Alex Murdoch or Murdoch, yeah, or whatever. I read. I know I will absolutely say it wrong. Maybe a few times. I will try my best.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, we did that. It was a very in-depth episode. Besides us saying his name wrong um so if you want to know more about kind of the background story and the other multiple deaths that are like connected to the family i would go listen to those first but if you already listen to those and you're caught up on all that then this one will get into the rest of the story
3: dramatic opening statements in the double murder trial of alec murdoch pow pow Two shots abdomen in the leg and took her down. Prosecutor Creighton Waters laying out what he says are moment-by-moment moment details of the murders of Murdoch's wife, Maggie, and youngest son, Paul. They were shot at close range and they did not have offensive wounds. Murdoch wiping away tears as he relived the events of that evening. Murdoch is the one who called 911. Prosecutors say he claims to have found the bodies of his wife and son, but they say it was part of a ruse to cover his crimes and that forensic evidence will show Murdoch is lying about his whereabouts that night. The defense started this by having Murdoch. Murdoch stand up. At, defense and attorney and Dick Harpootlian arguing that the prosecution has no evidence, and evidence and that Alec created and an and alibi that he, night. There's no eyewitness. There's no forensics tying him to the murder. And despite the gruesome scene, no blood on Alec himself, when police arrived. You would be covered in blood from head to foot. He told jurors police quickly decided Murdoch was guilty and never bothered searching for other suspects. And more drama in the courtroom as Harputlian described nearly every detail of the brutal shooting, arguing it's not believable a father would do such a thing. He didn't do it. He didn't kill Butcher his son and, and wife.
0: All right. So the trial began on January 25th, 2023. The lead prosecutor in this case was Creighton Walters. In his opening statements, he said that law enforcement had GPS from Alex's Alex's. See, when you're reading it, it's harder. <laughs> I, know.
1: I just don't know why he doesn't have Alec. Like, you know, if he wants to be called that, just ALEC, just, A-L-E-K, just make it easy. <laughs> it's just difficult. Yeah. Um, from Alex, Alex smart devices.
0: And they had also had cell phone video which placed him at the hunting lodge at the time of the murders. And just as a reminder, I probably should have said this before, but Alec Murdoch is on trial for the murder of his son Paul in his wife Maggie. And then there's another son named Buster, but he is alive and he was there.
1: Yeah. And when you say his wife Maggie, that's Alex. Alec. Alex's wife, not Paul's wife. Paul was yeah. younger. So, yeah, Alex's wife and – I'm not making sense. Alex's wife, Maggie, and their son, Paul, he was on trial for their murders. Yes.
0: So, Paul had taken a video on the night of the murders, which was June 7, 2021, at 8.45 p.m. In the video, which was taken near the dog kennels on the property, you could hear Paul's voice as well as the voices of Alec and Maggie. Get it, Get back.
4: Quit, Cash. Come. Quit. What's up here? Come here. Come here, Cash. Shit. Come. Here. Post it. Gash. Hey, he's got a bird in his mouth. Bubba. Hey, Bubba.
5: It's a guinea. It's a chicken. Come here, Bubba. Come here, Cash. Come here, Bubba. Cash.
0: Quit. Alec originally told police that he wasn't near the kennels at the time, but he later admitted that he lied. So that's kind of like a big point in the trial.
1: Yeah, big big opening day.
0: Yeah. On January 26th, footage from a police officer's body cam was shown in court. And the officer, this is the officer that responded to the call of Maggie and Paul being found dead. Alec cried in court when the footage was shown. The responding officer said that Alec didn't cry at the crime scene on the night of the murders. The officer said Alec didn't seem upset and that there were no visible tears.
5: Central 717 scene is secured. Got <gasps> a whiskey fox, whiskey mike, both gunshot wounds to the head. Sir, I want to let you know because of the scene, I, do, I did go get a gun and bring okay. it down here. It's so in your vehicle? Uh, it, just, you have it, it, any it, guns on you at all? Leaning, no, sir, it's leaning okay. up against the side of my car. Okay. You're, you're fine, man, you're fine. Turn around for me. I don't have any fun. Okay, yes, sir, I see that. Okay. This is your wife and son? Oh, and son. Okay. It's bad. It's bad. Check the pulses. Yes, sir. <laughs> this is the firearm you brought from inside the house, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I went get. This is a long story. My son was in a boat wreck a oh, uh, few months back. Okay. He's been getting threats. Most of it's been benign stuff. We didn't take serious. Okay. Um, you know he he's been getting like punched. <laughs> um, I know that's somebody. I know that's what it is. Okay. When did you get home? Right, um, right when you called, or did you go to the house first? Where is the house? I came to the house first. My mom has late stages of Alzheimer's, and my dad is in the hospital. Okay. I left. I don't know what time. I can go back on my phone and tell you the exact times. Did you check? Okay. Did I check what? Did you check them? The, the, we got medical guys that are, that, that's 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 what they're going to do, okay? Yeah. What are they doing? Can they hurry? They are. Yes, sir. The, that gentleman that was out here already, he's one of the battalion chiefs, okay?
0: In the body cam footage, Alec can be seen telling police that Paul had received threats due to the boat crash that killed Mallory Beach. And that's one of the ones we talked a lot more about in the other episode, but in summary, Paul got drunk, and his friends were drinking on a boat, and Paul was driving the boat, and since he was drunk, they were being kind of reckless, crashed, and um, this girl, Mallory, ended up dying from the crash. Back to the body cam footage. Alec is seen on there saying, this is a long story. My son was in a boat wreck months back. He's been getting threats, most of them benign stuff we didn't take serious. And just as a reminder about Paul and Maggie's injuries, Paul was shot twice with a shotgun and Maggie was shot in the back with an assault rifle and was then shot several more times while she was on the ground. Um, so it was always like a big point, kind of the the defense in, that people were wondering about since it was two different guns, could it have been two different people?
1: Yeah, it's interesting that he wasn't crying at the crime scene when his wife, especially it seems, had been very brutally almost overkilled. But yeah, he cried in court about it.
0: I guess the adrenaline wore off while he was at court. Yeah. On January 27th, Alex's lawyer, Jim Griffin argued that because authorities had been invited to search the property, that was a sign of Alex's innocence. He said no guilty person would be so transparent. Just debatable. Mm. Jim also cross-examined detective Laura Rutland about how Alec looked on the night of the murders. There was allegedly no blood on his clothing. The attorney said he didn't, looked like someone who had just been within feet of blowing Paul's head off, right? I noticed a lot during this trial that they were very graphic about how they spoke about blowing off Paul's head or blowing his brains out, which I kind of thought was weird.
1: There have been some actual photos of, I guess, the autopsies of Maggie and Paul leaked. His head wasn't blown off from what no. I can see. Like, he, he obviously died from the injuries, but he was still recognizable as Paul. Um, it sounded like his yeah. face was missing or something. Yeah, it was – It's. Yeah, inter- the language that they use is interesting based on the actual injuries.
0: I feel like they're trying – I'm sure it's a tactic of like maybe seeing how he'll react to that phrasing or yeah, just trying to like make it seem – like on the defense side, trying to make it seem like ex- especially
1: heinous to the jury and like, oh, the father could never do that to his son. I and even know. at this point, it's his lawyer cross-examining, but maybe he's just trying to kind of exaggerate it so much because there's no way a father could ever do that to his son if that yeah. kind of makes sense.
0: So the detective responded, I can't say that. There are so many factors that you would have to take into account. She said that Alec could have changed his clothes after the shooting. She said he's sweating and they're dry. So I'd say yes, in reference to him probably changing his clothes. There was a break in court proceedings after this, and they didn't reconvene until January 31st, which was a
1: Tuesday. Just just kind of a little note. I think that there was a lot of COVID delays in this case. Like I feel like at one point a lot of the jurors had COVID. So there are a few kind of breaks if you're looking if you really want to do a deep dive and find out exactly what happened every single day. There are some breaks due to that. Bomb threats. Yeah. <laughs> um Jim
0: Croft, who was an agent with the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, testified on this day about Alex's alleged questioning following the murders. He said that Alec cried during a police interview, and after seeing graphic photos of Paul's body, he said, It was so bad. I did him so bad. He's such a good boy, too. The defense tried to argue that Alec had actually said, They did him so bad. The recording was then replayed at a third of the speed, and Jeff said, I still hear him say, I. So I know this was a big thing that people were talking about, too, because it was like, Was he confessing guilt? Where, I mean, I feel like maybe, but even though I do think he, did this. I feel like he's too smart to have done that. I I was more so wondering if he maybe was feeling guilt about like his, how Paul was raised, how maybe he was a yeah. shitty dad. Like, like I did him let so him bad. Down. And,
1: yeah. yeah that's, if he did say that, I don't think he was confessing to the murder. I do agree. He was talking more in general about letting Paul down. I feel like Paul was one of his, well, I guess he only had two sons, but was Paul was definitely a favorite. He seemed to protect Paul a lot
0: yeah i agree i just i don't think he's dumb enough to just make that mistake
1: no Seems especially calculated. when you figure out kind of the lengths that he's gone to to try and cover this all up yeah i agree i don't think it was a confession
0: so this brings us to february 1st uh Britt dove who is with the computer crimes unit for the south carolina law enforcement division um you may have also heard of this division referred to as sled during the trial um Stands for State Law Enforcement Division, but a lot of times they'll just say SLED. And she testified about the use of Maggie's phone on the night of her murder. And I think with this trial, and we've said this with other cases too, that I feel like it's going to start getting not that it's already not that it's easy now, but it's going to get harder and harder for people to get away with murder and crimes because the amount of stuff they can track, just like from your phone, and figure out from your phone use and activity and tracking, is kind of crazy. Yeah. There's a lot of that that we'll get into. So Maggie apparently made a phone call at 7.50 p.m. that lasted for three minutes. And she also sent text messages to a friend that night as she headed to the hunting property. She said that something felt fishy about Alec's behavior. Maggie and Alec had been having a rough time in their marriage, and she had been staying at their beach house in Edisto Island, which was an hour away from the lodge. Alec had apparently asked Maggie to meet there as his father Randolph Murdoch III, was 81, was dying. He said that she needed to see him before she before he passed, and asked her to come to the lodge so they could travel together to the hospital. She initially declined and asked that they meet at the hospital, but fatefully she ended up changing her mind and she agreed to meet him at the lodge. Maggie allegedly wrote to her friend, he's up to something. When Maggie arrived at the house, she left her car running. She walked to the dog kennels where Paul was taking photos of a dog that he was watching for a friend. After the 7.50 p.m. phone call, Maggie didn't use her phone again. At 9.06 p.m. after it was believed that Maggie had already been murdered, the phone's camera activated for a second. Britt Dove, the one from the computer crimes unit, she said, it appears the phone's being moved and the camera's activating in the background to see if it would recognize somebody's face that would unlock it. So, you know, phones have the automatic face recognition, so the phone was trying to recognize whoever's face, but it couldn't which means it probably wasn't Maggie. In the next hour, Alec called Maggie three times and sent her a text saying, call me, babe. Prosecutors claim that this was activity by Alec and that it was an effort to create an alibi. Uh, Maggie's phone was discovered discarded beside the road outside the gates of the estate.
1: And just before you go on to a bit later in the episode, we are actually going to do a really thorough timeline of the day of the murders. This, That um, kind of information came out on that day, but we will properly get into kind of a step-by-step timeline of their movements on the day. Yeah, very detailed. So on February 2nd, 2023,
0: footage of Alec emerged that showed he had two different outfits on the night of the murder. Prosecutors said that there was a Snapchat video that showed Alec wearing khakis and a blue shirt. A blue dip dye shirt, actually. <laughs> um, about an hour before the murders. When he spoke to police following the murders, he had a white shirt, white t shirt
1: and shorts on. It's they are totally different outfits. Like you can't even there is no way you could argue that either outfit contains one piece of kind of crossed over clothing. They're totally different, shorts and pants and things like that.
0: Yeah. So on February 6th, 2023, Michelle Shelley Smith, who had been a caregiver to Alex mother testified she said that he visited his mother's home for 15 to 20 minutes on the night of the murders but he told her to say that he was there for 30 to 40 minutes if anyone asked so it's a little suspicious because why would anyone ask and also why do why are we lying (laughs) she also said that Alex's behavior was fidgety that night and he also offered to give her money for wedding expenses Alec's alibi for the night of June 7th was that he had visited his dying father and had also spent time at his mother's house. He said after those visits, he got to the hunting lodge and found Maggie and Paul dead. Shelley's testimony is important because if Alec was really only at his mother's home for 15 to 20 minutes, he would still have had time to commit the murders.
1: Alex's mother, I believe, has dementia as well. And I I read that she just sleeps a lot. I think she's still alive. Yeah, so I read that at the visit anyway, she slept a lot. So her testimony, even if she was truthful, wouldn't really be able to be used because she's unwell and not able to remember. Yeah.
0: And that's probably also why it was like the perfect alibi excuse for him too. His dad's dying, probably not really that coherent. And the mom has uh,
1: dementia. And they pay everybody else. Like Everyone else around them is basically a paid employee. So that's yeah. no doubt why he's offering to pay her for her wedding and things like that. Subtle. Yeah.
0: On February 7th, Jean Seconder, who is the CFO of the law firm where Alec was a partner, testified that she suspected he was stealing funds from the company. Um, this is another thing that we talk about. In the last episodes we've done this, he was also kind of being investigated for stealing a bunch of money from his law firm and not paying any of the victims and kind of keeping all the money for himself and doing some, some shady stuff. So she said that Alec had been writing company checks to a client but depositing them into a personal account of his. She said that on June 7th, the day of the murder, she confronted Alec about the missing money, which by then totaled $2.8 million. Jean said Alec was annoyed and abrupt during their conversation. He apparently received a call around this time about his father's declining health, and Jean told Alec that they could discuss the missing money at a later date. She testified that Alec had likely been stealing money since 2011. She said, I take his conduct very personally. He stole money. That money was
1: stolen. It's um, very interesting timing that the murders then happened on this day when she confronted him about this money. Um. In our last episode, I know we spoke about how Maggie had been probably consulting divorce lawyers. I feel like Maggie absolutely knew the money issues or, you know, to what extent we don't know. But it's interesting that it all came to a head after he was finally confronted about the money.
0: Yeah, he seems like he, he knew the jig was up. Yeah. On February 8th, 2023, a bomb threat was called into the courthouse. At noon, a clerk at the sheriff's office received a call from an anonymous phone number. The caller told the clerk that there was a bomb in the judge's chamber, so the courthouse had to be evacuated. The threat was eventually traced back to Joey Dean Coleman, who is a 32-year-old man that was incarcerated in a different county. He had no apparent link to Alec or the murder trial, um, and that was according to the Colton County Sheriff's Office.
1: I have so many questions. How can an inmate make a bomb threat from inside a jail? (laughs) I just don't even know how that's even possible. And... Also, I feel like there must be some link. Alec must have paid someone for him to make this call. Like, I feel like surely it's just not totally random of this guy to ring up and do this. I feel like it was absolutely orchestrated somehow.
0: Yeah, it's really weird. He must have had a smuggled phone or something because if you call from the jail phone, they would yeah. one know it was the jail and don't like the jail phone. <laughs> like, do you want to accept this call from the
1: Colton County <laughs> Jail? And like, you would think surely they would monitor for words like that, like bomb, like any words yeah. you think would be... I don't know. I just feel like it's such a strange part of this story.
0: Yeah, very random. Um, So officials, a lot of people back into the courtroom at 2.30 p.m. On February 15th, 2023, Maggie's sister, Marion Proctor, took the stand. She said that she had a strange conversation with Alec directly after the murders. She asked Alec if Maggie had suffered when she died. The sister said, he assured me that she had not. Now I don't know that I think that was true. She also said that Alec did not seem concerned with finding the alleged perpetrator of the crimes. She said, we never talked about finding the person who could have done it. It was just odd. Marion said that Alec said he did not know who it was. He felt like whoever did it had thought about it for a long time. And she said, I just didn't know what that meant. Marion also said that in the months after the murders, Alec said his number one goal was clearing Paul's name regarding the boat crash that killed Mallory Beach. Um, the sister said, he said that his number one goal was clearing Paul's name. And I thought that was so strange because my number one goal was to find out who killed my sister and Paul. On February 16th, the defense insinuated that Alec's cousin, Curtis Eddie Griffin, could have been involved in the murders. They said his involvement in giving Alec drugs, as well as his involvement in Alec's failed suicide for hire attempt, meant that he could have been part of the murders. So just as a refresher, there I don't even know how to start. Alec called, said someone tried to shoot him in the head um, as if like the murderer was also after him too. But then it came out that he hired his cousin, Curtis, Eddie Griffin, to shoot him in a suicide attempt, according to Alec. But it was failed, clearly. And he said that he wanted to be killed because if he committed suicide, then Buster wouldn't get any money or something.
1: Yeah, it was a very, (laughs) yeah, a very kind of half assed suicide attempt. Like, I feel like the bullet just grazed his head. Um, It's just another ridiculous part to the story. Yeah. So, on this day, details
0: of Alec's drug addiction were also discussed. There was a claim made by the defense that Alec was at one point spending up to $50,000 per week on drugs. On February 21st, 2023, the only remaining Murdoch child, Buster, took the stand. Buster spoke about finding out about the murders. He said Alec called and said, are you sitting down? Um, Buster said he sounded odd. And then he told me that my mom and my brother had been shot.
6: Buster, when did you first find out that your mom and brother were murdered? My um,
4: my dad called me. I can't. I can't remember the exact time, but it was later. Um, and he called me on the phone. He asked me if I was sitting down. And I was like, yeah. And then he you know, sounded odd. And then he, then he told me that, that my mom and, and brother had been shot.
0: Buster said that Alec was distraught on the night of the murders. He said, he was heartbroken. I walked in the door and saw him, gave him a hug. He was destroyed. Buster also spoke about how Paul and Maggie had allegedly confronted Alec in the past about his drug use. Alec went to rehab in 2018, and Buster said, I thought that he'd handled it.
6: Were you aware that your dad had an opioid addiction?
4: Uh, A little bit. I knew a little bit about the usage of pills. What did you know about it? I knew, that, I knew that either my brother and mom had found them at some point and then, you know, told them, like, hey, we found these. And he, I want to say the 2018, around Christmas, he went to a, a detox facility after Christmas. And that was my knowledge of it, thought that that handled it.
0: He then said that there were a couple more times that his father had relapsed. He testified that his father was always apologetic and sorry when he was confronted about his drug use. Buster wasn't asked about his father's guilt or innocence, and he squeezed Alec's hand after he finished testifying. February 23rd, 2023, this was a big day because Alec decided that he was going to take the stand and testify. The defense began by asking Alec if he used any gun to again, blow his son's brains out, or to shoot Maggie. Alec replied, I did not shoot my wife or my son, and he denied killing them multiple times while on the stand.
6: On June 7th, 2021, did you take this gun or any gun like it and shoot your son Paul in the chest in the feed room at your property off Moselle Road?
5: No, I did not.
6: Mr. Murdy, did you take this gun or any gun like it and blow your son's brains out on June 7th, or any day, or any time?
5: No, I did not.
6: Mr. Murray, did you take a 300 blackout such as this and fire it into your wife Maggie's leg, (laughs) torso, or any part of her body? No, I did not. Did you shoot a 300 blackout into her head, causing her death.
5: Mr. Griffin, I didn't shoot my wife or my son anytime, ever.
0: Alex's voice became shaky as he held back tears. He testified, I could never intentionally do anything to hurt either of them, not ever. He then explained that his nickname for his son, Paul was Paw Paw or Paul Terry. He said, you couldn't be around Paw Paw without having fun. He was an absolute delight. Alec admitted on this day to lying about where he had been on the day of the murders. The defense asked, why did you lie? He said, as my addiction evolved over time, I would get in these situations or circumstances where I'd get paranoid. I'm sorry I lied.
6: Mr. Murdoch, is that you? On the kennel video at 844 p.m. on June 7th, the night Maggie and Paul were murdered. It is. Were you, in fact, at the kennels at 844 p.m. on the night Maggie and Paul were murdered? I was. Did you lie to Sled Agent Owen and Deputy Laura Rutland on the night of June 7th and told them that you stayed at the house after dinner?
5: I did lie to them.
6: Did you lie to Agent Owen and Agent Croft on the follow-up interview on June 10th that the last time you saw Maggie and Paul was at dinner?
5: I did lie to them.
6: And in the interview of August 11th, did you tell Agent Owen and Agent Craw? did you lie to them t- by telling them that you were not down at the kennels on that night?
5: Yes. Yeah.
0: Alec took the stand again the following day on February 24th. He spoke more about his addiction to opioids, and he said that he was taking more than 2,000 milligrams per day in the months leading up to the murders. He continued saying most days were more than that and many days would be more than 2,000 milligrams a day. He testified that he was taking 30 milligram pills, instant release oxycodone, probably mixed in with some oxycotton, which is made of oxycodone. It's just time release. He said that taking the pills made whatever he was doing more interesting he said he had a pocket full of pills when he was speaking to sled following the murders, so it's like a ridiculous
1: amount of drugs to be taking if that's true yeah i it's crazy like it's an interesting kind of addition to the trial as well. I don't know what I guess it's just a maybe more of a motive that he needed money to fund his addiction he didn't or he didn't want them to know I don't know it's just an interesting.
0: I feel like he did have a drug problem, but in relation to this, I feel like it was just a, trying to be a distraction
1: from the story. Yeah. So on February 28th, Alex's younger brother, John Marvin, took the stand as the defense's last witness before they rested their case. He spoke about cleaning up the crime scene. He said, I saw blood, I saw brains, I saw pieces of skull, and I saw tissue.
6: And, and was it cleaned up?
5: Um, no, Jim, it was not cleaned up. Okay.
6: Were there skull fragments?
5: yeah so you know, so so excuse me, Oh, this could be really difficult. So I, I could easily see where Maggie had been. You know, I saw the night before where the sheets were, but and somebody had told me that who was who, and so I could see where Maggie had been, and it was grass, and you know they had covered it up with dirt. So there really was nothing to see where Maggie was. Um, I walked over to the feed room and y'all have heard the descriptions y'all saw it I've never seen pictures and I've told them before coming to this court that I was not going to see pictures but y'all can imagine what I experienced it had not been cleaned up I saw blood I saw brains I saw pieces of skull and when I say brains it could just be tissue I don't know what I was seeing it was just it was terrible Um, and for some reason I thought it was mine something that, that I needed to do for Paul to clean it up I felt like it was the right thing to do I felt like I owed him and I started cleaning and I can promise you no mother or father or aunt or uncle should ever have to see and do what I did that day i don't know uh, i'm not blaming anybody but it's just i was just overwhelmed i I did everything i could and i I would have moments where i would i would i would stop crying for a moment um, and just you know just in disbelief um at one point i called my brother randy and, and told him what I was doing trying to describe what I was doing and he immediately told me to stop doing it it it, it was not good for me it was not healthy for me to be there and I I couldn't stop I just I had to do it for Paul it's just what I had to do um and I don't know it's probably 15-20 minutes later Mark Ball shows up y'all heard Mark Ball testify and he came and hugged me and told me it was okay to leave, okay to leave. What was left of Paul, they would clean it up. It's the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. Yes, sir.
1: He said, I told Paul I loved him and I promised him I'd find out who did this. So John Marvin was also asked about Alex's relationship with Maggie, Paul and Buster. He said, all marriages, I'm sure, have hiccups here and there, but I'm telling you it was a good marriage. Anything that the boys were doing, Alec wanted to do. John Marvin also spoke about how he had been the one to find Maggie's phone. He said, it was brought to my attention that Maggie's phone was not there and that law enforcement had not found it. He said he turned on find my iPhone on Buster's phone and it pinged Maggie's phone just out the front of the property. He went to the shed on the property and he told law enforcement that he'd found the phone and they could go get it. But he was told there's no need because law enforcement at the scene had technology that were going they were going to use to find the phone the same day. So if that's true, it seems like a bit of unnecessary double up. And he said that he was perplexed because the phone was quote right out here. Weird. Maybe just like Less paperwork or something Yeah, and <laughs> for I them guess, to find it. Yeah, if they just do it themselves, yeah. I, maybe that's why, but it, it is unusual. Yeah. John Marvin also spoke about Alec's addiction, and he talked about a time where he'd taken Alec to rehab. He said at one point he'd taken the seatbelt off and he has his head down and he's just trying to stretch his legs, just kind of thrashing them and kicking them. Again, I've seen TV, but this is something I've never, I've never seen something like this in real life. He said he messed himself. He had diarrhea and he just couldn't control it. When I say diarrhea, I'm not talking about a restroom. I'm talking about the car and his pants. So that's another, (laughs) it's just, it it was a really a wild trial. What came out in the trial was crazy. That TikTok that I
0: sent you about that part like killed me when it was like (laughs) when you're on trial for murdering your wife and son and your brothers just talking about that time you shit your pants.
1: (laughs) So the trial wrapped up basically on March 1. Um, The jurors visited the scene of the murders and they spent around an hour looking around the property. Before we get into the verdict, I think this is kind of a good point just to run through the confirmed timeline of June 7. A lot came out in the trial and it's even pinpointed down to the amount of steps taken by each person, which we've spoken about in other episodes, how based on, you know, if your phone's on your body, Google or whatever can kind of track everything. They can track if you're running, if you're walking, how fast you're going, you know, if like even I know with poor Chambers that he was on a bike, those type Mm -hmm. of things, like, it can basically track everything. So I'll put the absolute detailed down to the amount of steps timeline on the blog. And in this episode, we'll just run through the main points. So on June 7 at 12.06 p.m. is where we'll start, Alec left the Moselle Hunting Lodge and drove to the law firm in Hampton where he worked and he arrived at 12.24 p.m. At 3.28, the family housekeeper, Blanca, finished cooking dinner for the family. She texted Maggie, dinner's on the stove, just left. Maggie texted back, thank you, at 3.40. At 3.41, Alec attempted to FaceTime Maggie, she didn't answer. And a SLED agent later said that the log for this call was manually deleted from Alex's phone. He seemed to do this a lot for all, pretty much every call he made in the afternoon and evening on this day. So, so weird. Yeah. So obviously they can still pull it from the phone records. It just wasn't on his phone at the time that they searched it. But, like,
0: at this point it just shows that he was planning it this whole time and, and also.
1: I, I don't know why you'd bother deleting the 3.41 p.m. call yeah, like, because what she was obviously alive then, like, you know, and she wasn't with Alex then so like i could maybe understand his dumb reasoning to delete the calls around the time of the murders but in the afternoon why would he even bother
0: i wonder when he deleted them like after the fact and he was just like in a panic being like Mm. i'm deleting all these everything
1: so at some point before 4 p.m roger dale davis arrived at the lodge to feed the dogs and chickens and to clean out the animal pens he later told police that nobody was there when he arrived and nothing was out of place At 3.55 p.m., Maggie texted the housekeeper Blanca, I'm waiting at the doctor. Alec wants me to come home. I have to leave the door open at a disto. I trust Mexicans to shut and lock it for me. His dad is back in hospital. No cancer. It's pneumonia. (laughs) That's just such a weird text. I'm wondering if it was like a typo or something, like I trust Mexicans (laughs) to shut and lock. I assumed it was just her being racist racist. And, you know, I don't know if anyone else has watched the Murdoch Netflix documentary like I feel like Maggie sometimes made out to be a victim in this and obviously she's a victim in the terms of that she was murdered but I also don't think she was a very nice person generally either yeah um so she texts Blanca again at 357 regarding the pressure that Alex was under she said Alex is about to die which I don't know if she's meaning die because, he, um, you know, like he won't be able to deal with his father dying, uh, or yeah, it
0: was confusing.
1: Yeah, but it does say Alec is about to die. Hope he doesn't go down there to sleep. Alec needs to take care of himself as well. she meant the drugs. If he really was taking
0: that many drugs,
1: yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Well, that's true as well. Or I guess it could. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just because she knew what was apparently coming up with him and his family, and he wasn't going to be deal with dealing with it. Plus the drugs. Yeah. Anyway, at the same time, Alec texted Maggie and said, how's your doctor appointment? She wrote back, waiting as usual. So Maggie texted Blanca again. She seemed to text her a lot, but at 4.06pm she wrote, I'm scared for him and Alec and all of us. And that was in regards to the father dying. Blanca texted Maggie back, I know, just pray about it. Just pray about it and hope he gets a little better. Ali, can you really need to relax? Always being on the go with little to no sleep is not healthy. I have a doctor's appointment in the morning in Beaufort. If I go to Moselle, I will let you know.
0: Yeah, the people with uh, a chef and house carers <laughs> and animal carers really need to relax.
1: And I found it interesting that even though he's dying and all this is going on, Maggie still makes time for a pedicure, <laughs> which yes. we're going to. So. Um, Alec's phone placed him at the law firm between 4.10 and 6.25 p.m. that day. Maggie's phone records placed her in the West Ashley area near Charleston between 4.25 and 7.05 p.m. So the man who had been caring for the animals left Moselle at 4.30 p.m. At 4.35, Alec attempted to FaceTime Maggie. She didn't answer. This was also deleted from his phone. So this is kind of where we learn where Paul was at the time on this day. Between 5.30 and 6.09, he was in O'Kady, according to his phone records. At 6.08, Paul called Dad. That was what the kind of contact was down as in yeah, his phone. The contact name. No record of this call was ever found in Alex's phone. At 6.09 p.m., Maggie texted Paul saying that she was getting a foot massage. Maggie's sister Marion called her at 6.20 and Maggie texted saying that she couldn't talk because she was getting a foot massage. At 6.23, Paul texted Maggie to ask what Blanca had prepared for dinner. She said that it was country fried steak and mac and cheese. At 6.24 p.m., Alex's vehicle left the law firm and headed to the hunting lodge. He got a call from a Jay Parker at 6.25. Between 6.17 and 6.53 p.m., Paul's phone records show that he was traveling from Okadie to Moselle. At six forty, Paul called Pa, which I find interesting. Did he have dad and pa? Like who's Pa? I'm assuming Pa is Alec, but it's weird that he's got him down as two different contacts. Yeah, that's weird. Anyway. The call lasted two minutes and twenty nine seconds. A grandpa? But then they're saying again there is no call logging oh, Alec's yeah, from phone. Alex's phone. So I think it must have been to Alec. Maybe he just had him in there as two different names for whatever reason. Um, Alec arrived at Moselle at 6.42. At 6.43, Alec called Maggie and the call lasted 104 seconds. Again, no call log in his phone. At 6.53, Paul called, his, Paul called his uncle, John Marvin. At 7.04, Paul was in Moselle. At 7.05, Alec texted Maggie saying, Paul says you're getting a petty exclamation <laughs> mark. Call when you are done. <laughs> at 7.00 p.m., Paul texted C.B. Rowe, who was a groundskeeper, to ask if he was coming to Moselle the next day. Alex texted this same person at 7.18 saying, call me please. Between 7.07 and 7.50, Maggie's phone records show that she was traveling from the North Charleston area towards Moselle. She made a few different calls, I guess, along the drive. She called her mother at 7.09 and that call lasted 8 minutes and 17 seconds. She called Marion back at 7.31 and that call lasted 7 minutes and 39 seconds. So, at kind of around this same time, between 7.35 and 7.41, Paul's phone recorded that he took 171 steps. At 7.39 p.m., Paul recorded a video of Alec as a Snapchat video that he sent around 15 minutes later. Um, between 7.45 and 7.56 p.m., Paul's phone placed him in the dog kennels on the property. At 7.50 p.m., Maggie's phone is in Walterboro, which is around 30 minutes from Moselle. So, she still was not at the property by around 8 p.m. This is the last location data that's pulled from her phone. At this time, she called a contact, Barbara, and that call lasted eight seconds. During her drive, she called like ten people, it's like, so <laughs> and like they didn't answer. Like she called Barbara, I think three times between seven eighteen and. 750 and you no know, she really wanted to speak to Barbara like just listen to a podcast you her board so between 755 and 805 Paul's phone recorded 262 steps Alex's phone recorded 270 steps at the same time I've just left that one in in terms of the steps because I feel like it's interesting and it shows that they were likely together you know if they were walking yeah, like similar. walking to the kennels together yeah. or whatever so at 759, Paul sent a Snapchat video of Alec. It's online. It's Bob put it on the blog. He's wearing um the, what the do you dip, call it? Dye dip dye shirt and the kind of chino pants that we spoke about. Um he's standing near this kind of Drooby young tree. tree Like it looks like it's a newish tree that's been kind of staked and the tree just kind of flops over. Like it's just yeah. it's there's nothing really exciting in the video. I just like mm. They're just
0: laughing about Yeah. Well Paul's laughing about the tree falling over.
1: Yeah. So at 806, Paul's phone started moving from the kennels to the main house and he sent a Snapchat to friends at 807. Between 809 and 902, Alex's phone recorded no step. so this indicates he was not moving with the phone on him. He later told police he was sleeping during this time. <laughs> so must be a very quick sleeper to be with Paul and then a few minutes later being asleep. So Maggie's phone remained locked between 8.11 and 8.31 p.m. Paul's phone was in the main house between 8.14 and 8.35. His phone recorded steps between 8.15 and 8.21 and Maggie's phone recorded steps between 8.17 and 8.18. Over the next 10 minutes between 8.19 to 8.29, Paul sent messages and responded to messages. At 8.31, John Marvin texted several family members, including Alex and Maggie, and said, I plan to go over and visit Dad tomorrow afternoon. Is anyone else going? Maggie's phone unlocked for this notification at 8.49, so that kind of implies to me that she was still alive as we spoke about because her phone had Face ID. So. If she unlocked it, she was probably still alive then. Alec did not read this text, though, till 1.44 p.m. the following day. By 8.38, Paul's phone placed him again at the kennels. He had been house, sorry, house-sitting, dog-sitting for his friend Rogan Gibson. Paul thought there may be something wrong with the dog's tail, so he kind of tried to take a video of the dog and um, send it to his friend. In that video, you can hear three voices, and witnesses have said the voices are Maggie, Paul, and Alec. So at 8.44 p.m., the two were still alive, and they were all essentially together. Come here, Shit. Come
3: here. Hey, he's got a bird in his mouth. Bubba.
4: Hey, Bubba. It's a guinea. This is a chicken. Come
0: here, Bubba. Come here, Cash. Come here, Bubba. Cash. And remember Alec has said that he wasn't there at all and
1: he didn't get back until after they were dead, but he's been caught on video twice now. And that he was asleep as well. So he's had a few stories. So Paul texted back and forth with a friend after this until 8.49. That was when his phone locked. Maggie read the um, group chat text about Randolph at 8.49 she accessed an app also at 8.49 and that phone was locked shortly after. It was not unlocked then until the following day when it was found a quarter mile away. At 8.49pm, Rogan, who whose dog Paul was looking after, texted Paul and said, see if you can get a good picture of it. Marianne wants to send it to a girl we know that's a vet. Get him to sit and stay. He shouldn't move around too much. So Paul never read that message. Investigators believe that Maggie and Paul were killed at around 8.50pm near the kennels. Paul was shot twice with a shotgun, once in the head and once in the chest. Maggie was shot five times with 300 blackout ammo from an AR-style rifle. Two of those shots struck her in the head. So the next parts of the timeline are from after the murders. As we mentioned earlier, at 8.53, Maggie's phone screen was woken to activate the face ID. The phone remained locked, which indicates it wasn't Maggie who did that. Her phone recorded 59 steps between 8:53 and 8:55. Her phone took a screenshot of Facebook, which is interesting considering Everyone really know what it was. Yeah. At 8:55 p.m., so after the murders. This is just 5 minutes after, so it's crazy now. What how, is he screenshotting oh, on Facebook? I don't know. Like, he's obviously I think he must have just been panicking and you are like he can accidentally take a screenshot. I I don't even know how that happened if it was still locked. Maybe he knew the code to her phone. But then it said the phone remained locked. I don't know. Unless maybe he did Yeah, then enter it. Maybe they just mean it wasn't opened with Face ID and he did open it. Anyway, Alex's phone came to life again at 9.02 p.m. In four minutes, it recorded 283 steps, which is around 70 steps per minute. He called Maggie at 9.04, then he called his father Randolph at 9.06, which his father is in hospital dying. I don't don't know. Anyway. He needs an alibi. (laughs) That call lasted 18 seconds. Again, no record of either call in Alex's phone later. He called Maggie again at 9.06. There was obviously no answer. He left Moselle at 9.07 and he- headed to Almeida. At 9.08, Alec's car drove past the spot where Maggie's phone would be found the following day. After the car passed that location, the vehicle's speed quickly increased. So that kind of indicates that he probably slowed down to throw it out the window and then sped off. At 9.08, Alec texted Maggie saying, going to check on M, be right back. Alec called Buster at 9.10. That call lasted 60 seconds at 9:12 Alec called his friend and fellow attorney Chris Wilson. Chris said he was busy and that he'd call Alec back. At 9:18 Alec called John Marvin. That call lasted for 106 seconds. Again, no record of it in Alec's phone. Just calling everyone. <laughs> no I would love to know if he what he said to Buster. I know me too. Um if he what sounded weird, yeah, because I feel like later is when he officially told Buster. So I wonder what he obviously was maybe just trying to build his alibi at this point. And I just would love, yeah, to yeah, people what he could told be Buster. like, "Oh no, I talked to him. Like mm. he was, he wasn't murdering." At 9.20, Chris Wilson called Alec back. They spoke for three minutes. At 9.22, Alec arrived at his mother's property. The speed of this trip is faster than any trip he took that day, including reaching speeds of 74 miles an hour. So the caregiver said that Alec called from outside at 9.24 and asked to be let in. And as we mentioned earlier, his mother was asleep during most of the visit and the caregiver said that Alec was on his phone for most of the time. At 9:34, Rogan texted Maggie after he didn't hear back from Paul about his dog. He said, "Tell Paul to call me," and that text went unread. Alec called Paul at 9:46, and the connection lasted 18 seconds. He texted Maggie at 9:47 and said, "Call me, babe." That text went unread. So Chris, the other attorney, and Alex played phone tag and text phone phone and text tag for a few minutes between 9:52 and 9:53. Rogan called Paul at 9.57 and there was no answer. One minute later, he texted Paul, yo. So at 10 p.m., Alec Alec returned to Moselle and parked at the main house. On the drive back, he reached speeds of 80 miles an hour when the maximum speed limit was 55. He drove and parked his vehicle at the main house at around 10 p.m. At 10.05 p.m., he drove it around to the kennels. At 10.06 p.m., so one minute later, he called 911 to report that Maggie and Paul had been shot. (laughs)
5: Nine one,
3: major emergency. This is Alex Murdoch at forty one forty seven Moselle Road. I need the police to <laughs> answer immediately. My wife and child got badly.
5: Okay, you said forty one forty seven Moselle Road in Arlington. Sir, uh, you said forty one forty seven Moselle Road in Arlington.
3: Yes, sir. Forty one forty seven Moselle Road. Stay on the man. line
5: with Please me, okay? Hurry. Yes, sir. Stay on the line with me, okay?
0: Okay. Call in communication. county
5: communications. Collison, I have a Alex Murdoch on the line, caller from 4147 Moselle Road. He's advising that his wife and child was shot. Okay, okay, and
0: sir, give me the address again. It's
5: 4147 Moselle Road. I've been up to it now, it's bad.
0: Okay. Huh. Okay, and are they breathing? No, ma'am. Okay, and you said it's your wife and your son?
5: My wife and my son.
0: Are they in a
1: vehicle? No, ma'am. They're on the ground, out at my kennel. After the 911 call ended, Alec drove his vehicle back to the main house before returning again to the kennels at 10.14. At 10.17, he started calling and messaging people. He texted, Randy Murdoch, please call me emergency. Police arrived at the kennels at 10.25 p.m. and SLED were contacted for assistance. At 10.47 p.m., Alex texted Buster, call me urgent. Buster called Alex at 10.47 and that call lasted 162 seconds. He called back again at 10.56 p.m. and that call lasted 216 seconds. SLED arrived on the scene at 11.47 p.m. So that is kind of the main timeline of the day until police really arrived and started to investigate. So in terms of the verdict for this case, I was a little bit unsure as to what would happen. I feel like he's absolutely guilty. I was just not sure if there was enough um, evidence. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't know if it would be totally clear what would happen. Yeah, because there's not a lot of physical evidence. There's a lot of like digital evidence. Yeah, and, you know, I just didn't know if they would be able to convict him without a reasonable doubt, but they did. On March, it's not like, oh, his his DNA was at the scene, but, like, it was, but, like, yeah, it's his house, yeah. so it's not like they could pin him on that. So on March 2, 2023, after deliberating for less than three hours, it was so quick, the jury found Alex guilty of the murders of Maggie and Paul. So the Deputy Attorney General said, I want to thank the jurors for their service and the justice they delivered to Richard Alexander Murdoch today. Alec tried one last con to prevent the accountability he has never had to face in his life, but the jury saw through that and properly found he murdered his wife and son in cold blood. So the following day, March 3rd, Alex was sentenced to two life sentences, which will run consecutively. Before handing down the ruling, Judge Newman told him, it might not have been you, it might have been the monster you become. When you take 20, 40, 60 opioid pills, maybe you become another person. So that is kind of it in terms of the actual trial. Um, I saw one juror that like
0: came out after the fact and said that what really did him in for a lot of them was the dog video where you could hear him talking in the background. Yeah. Because he was like, no, I
1: wasn't there, and it happened right after that, so
0: he was clearly there.
1: Yeah, he. I feel like he absolutely planned all this Um, I just don't think he planned it well enough, you know. He could have absolutely – And he probably didn't know that
0: Paul was taking a video.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was the one thing that did him in.
0: I always love it. Sounds weird to say love it, but when the victim – it's kind of like they have their one last thing that like puts the nail in the coffin for the person who killed them. I can't think of any other specific ones, but just Paul happened to make that video, which got Alex's voice on it right before his dad murdered him and that's kind of
1: what convinced everyone – that he definitely did it. It's funny that you kind of mentioned that now because there has been an update in another case that we covered Dylan Rounds, the missing man in Utah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, so it's come out now that James Brennan, who we spoke about in the episode, has now been charged with his murder. His body still hasn't been found, but that there was a time lapse video on Dylan's phone of this guy cleaning blood off his hands. And, you know, so I wonder if he set that up as well because he thought something might be happening to him or he was worried it's just yeah, interesting how sometimes these things come out even with like Libby and Delphi even though it took forever like she did get that video Mm. um so Alex's team are expected to appeal I have read that they will likely do that within 10 days so we are now at about five or six days following the sentencing so I'm assuming that will happen soon maybe we'll put a clip in if it does Lawyers for Alec
2: Murdoch filed an appeal on his behalf yesterday, just one week after a South Carolina jury found the 54-year-old guilty of killing his wife and son. The disgraced lawyer was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Barbara McQuaid joins us now. She's a former U.S. attorney, current law professor at the University of Michigan, an NBC News legal analyst. So thank you so much for being with us this morning, Barbara. First off, what do we know about this appeal so far and what grounds do we think Murdoch's lawyers might be using here? Well, it's a fairly routine matter for defense attorneys to file a notice of appeal because they must do so within a very short window of time. Usually they file that provisionally. It may be that they're not even aware of any particular error that they're going to focus on in their appellate briefs. They get more time to actually scour the record and look for that. Oftentimes it's useful to bring in another lawyer, a fresh set of eyes, to read all of the transcripts and think through any potential errors that might have been made in the case below. Sometimes it's evidentiary issues. Sometimes it's permitting uh, the fruits of searches or statements to come in, and so. Uh, Um, Sometimes there's even an argument called sufficiency of the evidence. It gets raised in almost every criminal conviction. What it says is no rational fact finder could have found me guilty, even though this jury did. I should also note that appeals are successful only in less than 10 percent of cases because most of the time judges get it right. We did ask on Instagram if
1: anyone had any questions about kind of the trial and one question which I found interesting was, will Alex still face the other charges even though he's already received two life sentences because it kind of seems like why would you bother, you know, in terms of legal resources and money but apparently, yes, that is still going ahead. I'll just get this article up. Because he also owes those people Money, really? So he's still facing 99 counts of embezzlement, computer crime, money laundering conspiracy and that he's basically swindled people out of $9.3 million. So that is still going ahead as is in the investigation into their former housekeeper, Gloria Satterfield, and her death. I believe that is also being looked into still. So it doesn't sound like just because he's now will likely be in jail for the rest of his life that that they're dropping everything else. One other question that came up a lot was: Do we think he acted alone, and will Buster be investigated? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like surely, if there was somebody else there, it would have come out by now. Everything else seems to have come out. I don't. Th- I don't think Buster was there. Was Buster in on it? Maybe. Uh, maybe they kind of schemed this together for financial reasons. I feel like Buster probably wasn't involved. One When I was actually looking to see if Buster was going to be investigated, there are some articles online about how police are apparently looking into his possibly involvement in the Stephen Smith murder, um, which has been looked at a hate crime because Stephen was apparently gay um, Mm -hmm. at the time he died. His death was initially blamed on a car accident. If if you've watched the Murdoch Netflix special, they do kind of insinuate that maybe there was some involvement by the family in Stephen's death. So it will be interesting to see what comes from that. But police have not officially said that they're looking into Buster. It's just all speculation.
0: I think it might be related to the Stephen's death, but I don't think he was probably involved with his brother and mom. No, I
1: yeah, I I I, I feel like it, it is interesting to me. I would like to know more about how the actual murders went down. Like, did someone try and run? Maybe Maggie try and run? That's why she was. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I don't know if they were both there. I guess it could have been super quick, but why would he bother using two guns? Yeah. So questions like that, I don't know if we'll ever know the answer. Um, well, he probably used two guns to try to make it look like not him. Yeah. Like yeah, that true. was two people and it was a hit. Just seems like it would take more time. Like, Yeah. I feel like he thought that was a good idea, but. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that is essentially it up to date with their Murdoch family story. Crazy. Yeah
0: really like it's just crazy to think about how much is related to it and you also don't really think about it because of just how much has happened with this case and all the other side stories but he technically is like you know the typical deadly dad family side except buster lived but it's kind of the same story as some of the other dads who murder their kids and wives probably started out as though we talked about in the episode where you know he saw everything falling apart and they were going to be ashamed, and he couldn't deal with the shame of that he wouldn't be able to afford their lifestyle anymore. Now that he got caught stealing all this
1: money, yeah, I wonder what is left for Buster in terms of assets. Like, I'm yeah, I am assuming probably not works. much. If they're if if Alec owes nine point three million dollars, they will be going after his estate. I am assuming to recoup some of that. So
0: it seems like they had a lot of houses, though, so maybe there'll be some. Something
1: for him. I don't know. I, don't I wonder know how it works. I'm assuming Maggie probably had life insurance. I'm assuming probably Paul did too, but I don't know how that works um, mm. in terms of who gets it and those, those kind of legalities. Um, Buster also, in the last few days, has I think let me just find out. How many... they complained at the media yeah. stalking him or so whatever. Buster filed a police report for apparently being stalked by the media. He said that they, so he's got a girlfriend called Brooklyn. He said that basically photos inside their house appeared in a New York Post article. They've seen suspicious uh, um, cars lingering outside their, vehicle, outside their home. The sheriff's office have said they would send extra patrols and told Buster to note any suspicious activities. That, that will die down. You know, I have no doubt that they're trying to get his reaction and when he appeared in court, everyone was, you know, glued to the screen. Once this all kind of dies down, I feel like that will likely die down too. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's it.
0: All right, so that is really it for the Murdoch trial. There might be some updates, but I think it would just be like the appeal really, but we're suspecting that
1: to happen anyways. Yeah, well, yeah, like all articles I've read expect him to appeal and one article did say within 10 days, so maybe soon. I I have no doubt there will be an appeal at whatever point.
0: Yeah, and I don't think really anything else much could happen. All the information and everything will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. And then any other updates that we see posted online, we also post on our Instagram and Instagram stories. Follow us there at truecrimesociety. And you can follow our personal accounts. Mine is StephSum, underscore Olivia's TCS Olivia, if you want to see what we're up to. If you could leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or share the podcast, you could leave us a rating on Spotify and subscribe if you haven't done that yet. Please do all those things because it's a big help to us. And check out our sponsor for this episode. They'll be linked in the episode description with the codes and all that if you ever forget. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Stay safe out there. Peace out. See ya. And thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>